Welcome to Idle Chatter, brought to you by the Machinery Digest, where steel and soil meet. A weekly podcast by a New Jersey farmer to all farmers and ranchers across this great nation. And yes, there are farms in New Jersey. Regardless of the crop you grow or the livestock you raise, we all have one thing in common. Agriculture runs on passion, sweat, tears, and machinery. And that is why the Machinery Digest exists. A no-nonsense, grease-under-your-fingernails educational website. It was created to provide a transfer of knowledge so that you can maintain, service, and most importantly, understand today's complex farm equipment. My name is Ray Bohax and I farm too. It is time now to get under the sheet metal. Hello and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I'm Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer for those who have been listening and to those people that are new and are just picking up the show uh, on this episode. Well, I thank you for tuning in and hopefully you like it and you come back and listen and learn because that's really what this is all about. It's not about me, it's about you, the American farmer and rancher and anyone in agriculture. And uh, I just want to do my best to help you to be profitable, uh, not only during hard times, but good times also. Because we shouldn't... uh, The Japanese have a proverb, I believe, and excuse me for paraphrasing it slightly, but it says, do not be too generous when times are good, and do not be too greedy, or stingy, not greedy, uh, stingy when times are tough. And I think that if we all have come to see that on our operations, that we need to be able to take care of our equipment and maintain it and make it as efficient as possible. And efficiency is not only the use of fuel, it's how uh, minimize downtime, reliability, uh, and just the serviceability of the machine that it comes into uh, into service when we need it. Because as I as always say, or I always say, I'm getting excited early in the show, that is not good for you. Uh, but it is, you know, farm machinery is so much like emergency equipment, a fire truck or an ambulance or a police car. It has to run when it has to run. And uh, we need that window of opportunity to get into the field and do whatever has to be done. And this year, that certainly is a challenge for everyone. I'm not laughing uh, because at this particular point, I guess it's you would if you weren't laughing, you would be crying. But thankfully, I was able to get some corn in the field on Saturday. And uh, we do, as I said to uh, please forgive me if you've heard this before, but uh, you know we do uh, fresh market sweet corn, so I do multiple plantings, and I was able to get my first planting in the field on May 18th, which is about 18 days later than I had hoped for. I had uh, hoped for around April 30th to May 1st, but hey, thank God I got there and uh, got some in the ground. And uh, you know it's funny as an aside to this. You know, even though, you know, I just give everything to God, and Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6 is my, probably one of my favorite Bible verses, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and lean not onto your own understanding, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will guide thy path. And I realize that everything is in his control, but what I, you know, what I'm getting at is that I could not believe how much angst I was harboring, and after I got that first planting in the ground, 
on Saturday, I actually collapsed. It was a beautiful day, and I just took a chair, and I sat down, and I fell asleep. And I didn't realize, even though I live by those words, or try to live by those words in the scriptures, that how much angst it was causing me. And uh, I guess I was just, uh, you know, keeping a lot of stress inside, which I'm sure that all of you are. And with the with the planting delays that we are having and the prevent plant dates approaching, but you know things changed quickly here and as an aside to that because of the weather conditions and thankfully I'm a better engine guy than I am an agronomist but I had the opportunity to do something that I have not done yet on uh, on the Bohax farm is that this first planting I com- I true no-tilled it into the ground and even though I have a no-till planter I used to go with a uh, Unverfirth Perfecta 12 field cultivator and just loosen up the top of the soil a little bit and uh, then plant into that. But you know, since we do multiple plantings, I would only go with the Unverfirth into the field one time. So basically, if I did 10 plantings, the last planting would be about 40 to 45 days after the first, and that soil would not have been touched in those 45 days. So I did not want to go with the Perfecta in the field this year because it just seemed too damp and too wet for me to uh, feel comfortable doing that, and I think that I would have softened up the top few inches and fluffed that up nicely and move that around but I think that the shovels would have compacted uh, the soil profile under that so I said well I'm gonna try doing true no-till and I had my cover crop in the field that I burned off and that was still standing it was a five-way mix then it was probably about 18 inches high and I planted right into that and uh, the planter did a beautiful job thank God so I'll see what kind of emergence I get but as far as the seed disappearing into the ground, uh, it did a beautiful job and that covered beautifully. And the little bit that I did try to examine, you know, sometimes when you do something like that, you want to look, but you don't want to look. It's like getting a bill in the mail, right? You can like open the envelope very uh, you know, with trepidation. So it appears that I did not really have any uh, real sidewall compaction. And I was... Uh, grateful for that or anything of any real magnitude I was concerned with that but with the uh, 13 wave no-till coulter the double disc opener and the uh, the copperhead ag furrow cruiser closing wheel that it crumbled that uh, sidewall very nicely and I don't think I'm going to have much sidewall compaction there whatsoever but uh, time will tell right we'll see if it comes up and I'm sure that it will but at this particular point, I only have 35 heat units into the corn, so I'm not predicting, based upon the weather, that I won't see any emergence till about six and a quarter days. So that would put me to about Friday afternoon, Friday around lunchtime. So we'll see, and I'll let you know. But another thing I wanted to share with you, and I wanted to uh, give a shout, a shout out to uh, Dwayne Kimball in Callaway, Nebraska. I had the blessing of meeting Dwayne at Commodity Classic last year and then also uh, meeting him at as we were entering or waiting to go see Secretary Purdue speak. And we started to talk and he was there with his wife and he was there with another couple from the area. 
and we then then Dwayne spent some time with me over at the Firestone Farm booth, Firestone Ag booth, farm booth, and uh, just you know when you meet sometimes in life you know, you meet somebody and and their quality, their excellence just shines right through immediately, and that's really. Uh, you know what Dwayne is. I mean, you, you could just see the quality of the person as soon as I, as soon as he put out his hand to shake my hand. And what had happened is that I had asked him to contact me when he got home, and I felt that I was negligent as far as taking his contact information because I felt confident that I would lose it. But I felt that I was more accessible than he was. Uh, as if you don't lose my business card, contact me through a successful farming magazine. And I never heard from him, but that was when the weather turned bad when he got back home to Nebraska. So my wife and I were concerned, and I said, geez, you know, I never heard from that man, and hopefully everything is right. But thankfully, he contacted me uh, just over the weekend while he was planting uh, corn. He sent an email over to the Hot Rod Farmer at FarmMachineryDigest.com, and I was excited to know that he listens to my podcast. But uh, anyway... I just want to uh, thank you for contacting me, Dwayne, and it was a blessing to meet you, and I know that we will have many communications. And another thing that I would like to share with you before we start on today's show, which is going to be, if I were to title it, I would call it Getting to Know Rudolph, and not Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, but Rudolph Diesel. You know, the diesel engine is such a main component in agriculture, in every aspect of agriculture, and truth be told, we know very little a bit about its uniqueness compared to a gasoline engine, and diesel engines were really not taught that much uh, in school, even in high school or what have you, they would teach the class about the four strokes of a gasoline engine, but not too much about diesel. So I think it's it's time now that us farmers get to know Rudolph, Rudolph Diesel, that is. But I also want to uh, welcome aboard the Agro Expo. And the Agro Expo is going to be sponsoring this show in part until mid-August when they have their wonderful event up near St. John's, Michigan. And, you know, during the summer, there's so many opportunities to go to field days or different type of events. And I really going to ask you to check out this Agro Expo. And it is August 13th and 14th from 8.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. and over the next course of a couple of months I will be telling you more about it on each show but their website is theagroexpo.com and it is a uh, great great show it's a new show new field day slash show it's all about education there and that's why I like it because I'm about education so it's all about education so as the week's approach and I want to talk about mid-August yet because it's only May but as the weeks approach each week I will give you a little bit more information and I invite you to go to the website check it out and if you are uh, you know not too far from that area hey even if you are far it's worth the drive but you know it's nice to have a really excellent educational and not uh, marketing show in the Michigan area. So it's in uh, near St. John's, Michigan, which is not far from Lansing. It's the Agro Expo. So check it out. And I want to welcome them aboard. And I want to thank you. I want to thank them for uh, sponsoring this show in part and bringing you this information. So that is where we are at right now. And we're going to start to talk about diesel engines. 
You know, years back, and I've told some of you this story before, but years back, uh, my friend Gene Worst and I went to, when we were in college, we went to the uh, NHRA Spring Nationals in Zanesville, Ohio, which is outside of Columbus. And I don't even think that event is uh, exists anymore, but maybe it does. But that's moot. And it got kind of rained out. It was raining and sunny and raining and sunny. And so we went to, we had the opportunity to go to this bo- booth and they had a uh, tent set up and they had a little uh, seminar. And it was, I believe it was from Alston Chassis. And they were a company that made drag race chassis. And I think it was Chris Alston, the owner, but I may be wrong. Is that he was giving a uh, slideshow about... Uh, setting up a drag race car chassis, and what he what he was what he was basically emphasizing throughout the whole uh, talk was what we do in agriculture, and what he's basically saying is that you need to bring everything into harmony. You need to bring the weight transfer into harmony, the way the tire responds. It's called tire tire shock in drag racing, when the car launches and hopefully crinkles up the side wall of the tire. To, uh, to get traction and weight transfer, but he spoke about harmony, and we've learned that in agriculture, probably, uh, we, we've really recognized it. I don't want to say learned it, because there's, you know, there's the difference in life in, in learning something and recognizing it, and recognizing when you need to apply it. And we specifically, you know, with our soils, we start to look more at something like base saturation, which is a percentage of the nutrients in the soil and how they interact and it's bringing the soil into harmony and I think it's imperative and that's why I'm excited about doing today's show Uh, I think it's imperative that we become in harmony with a diesel engine and we need to understand its differences in the way it runs uh, its combustion and just its whole DNA versus the gasoline engine and though they share a lot of dynamics, because any engine that burns a fuel actually converts f- chemical energy, which is a fuel, to mechanical energy. But the diesel has some unique properties that are not shared with a gasoline engine, and they give it the attributes that have made it a mainstay for agriculture or agricultural machinery. And those attributes are reduce fuel consumption and a very high torque output and we have to remember and I did a show on this a while probably four or five months ago about we all talk about horsepower we buy horsepower I mean that you know we got the 620 horsepower Steiger you know we're gonna turn it up to, 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 to 680 so we talk horsepower but we actually buy torque and torque is an engine's ability to do work, while horsepower is how quickly it can accomplish that work. And you know, a diesel engine is known to be very torquey, but not very horsepower biased. And a gasoline engine is known to be more horsepower biased and not as torquey. And there is a reason for that, and I will explain that to you today and then also people say that diesel engines last longer because they're built heavier and you know that's a statement that people make and it's true to a certain extent but they really don't have any any science or engineering background why that is the case so we are going to cover all of that today and it is important for you to understand the peculiarities of a diesel 
and because then it will make it easier for you to work with it'll make it easier for you to to repair and it'll just bring you in harmony with it which is something that we need to have now throughout the talk and throughout the engineering community they refer to so I'm going to use the terms today on the show SI and DI or CI, SI and C, SI and CI. I'm messing it up myself, right? Uh, every the world today has got so many acronyms, but SI would be a spark ignition engine, and that would be a gasoline type of engine. It could run off of propane, it could run off of liquefied natural gas, it could run from kerosene. But in other words, it's it's initiating the combustion event by the arcing of a spark plug. So that is called spark ignition. And now a diesel is considered compression ignition, and the abbreviation is CI, so it's a compression ignition engine. And then, in essence, what happens with a diesel, and this is be it a mechanical diesel, an old, what we would call pump line nozzle system, or a later tier four type, uh, uh, well, direct injection uh, common rail is probably a better way for me to say it because it doesn't have to be tier four to have direct direct injection and common rail fuel delivery but it was a technology that was brought out to meet the tier four emissions and uh but they do not have to be like bacon and eggs together they could be independent of it but what happens with the diesel is its compression ignition ci and a lot of people think that the fuel is being compressed until it, I'm going to use the layperson's term, explodes. And and that is not the case. What happens with the diesel is that it compresses the air. And when you compress anything and you compress air, what's going to happen is that it's going to, the, the friction of the molecules being pushed together, it'd be like, I'm going to rub my hands together, I don't know if you can hear it, so if you're rubbing your hands together, rub your hands while I'm, you're talking to me, and put a lot of pressure, then what's happening, you could feel the heat coming up, right, so it's real cold outside, what do you do, you, you, you rub your hands together, or take your gloves off, and rub your hands, and then put, put, them, uh, put them back in the gloves, is that sort of friction, the friction of the molecules of being compressed in the diesel engine is what heats the air. Now, keep in mind that that same phenomena happens in the spark ignition engine, but to a lesser extent. And why is it to a lesser extent in a spark ignition and engine and a greater extent in a, in a CI engine is because the compression ratio, for the most part, on a diesel engine is much higher than it is on a gasoline engine and the compression ratio by definition is very simple it's the volume of the cylinder with the piston at at bottom dead center and then again the piston at top dead center so if you say an engine has a 10 to 1 compression ratio for using easy arithmetic easy numbers that means that the volume at with the piston at bottom dead center is 10 times that of the volume of the piston at top dead center so what you basically do is you're taking 10 times the volume of of the cylinder and pressing it into one-tenth of the volume. So 10 to 1, it would be one-tenth of that volume. On the diesel, what on a older diesel, the compression ratio was in the low 20s to 1. 
20 to 1, 21 to 1, 22 to 1. I don't think I've seen anything much more than 21, 22 to 1. So we'll use 20 to 1 as an as as a as a uh, common number, and we'll use it during this discussion 10 to 1 as a common number on a gasoline engine. So what's basically happening if you use those two those two standards is that on a diesel engine we're taking we're taking the volume of the bore the volume of the cylinder with the piston at bottom dead center and we're taking it and we're compressing it into an area arguably one twentieth the size so that means is that we're taking just like taking an elevator and instead of having 10 people in it we're putting 20 people in it in the same area the same volume but when we're actually talking about compression ratio it's volume not area and i don't want to beat you with semantics but as long as you understand so just like if you were to have 20 people in the elevator instead of 10 people in the elevator the the friction of pushing those 20 people in would generate heat and then that heat actually transfers into the other air molecules so it raises the temperature in the cylinder and so what will happen is that with a diesel is that near the end of the compression stroke which would be a few crank angle degrees and the location of the piston in the bore in an engine whether it be si or ci is always referenced off of crank shaft angle degrees from top dead center and so if you as an aside to this if you're timing a gasoline engine right you say i got the i got the timing set at 10 degrees before TDC so it's 10 crank angle degrees before TDC and that equates to a certain position in the bore because it's 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 uh, connected via the connecting rod right I should have worded that a little bit better so near the end a few crank angle degrees before the uh, piston reaches top dead center that the diesel engine injects the fuel into the cylinder and i'm not going to get mired on whether it's a direct injection or an indirect injection system because we could spend the whole show on that and that's really not the purpose of today's show is for you to understand how a diesel functions and why it's different and why it has certain attributes over a gasoline engine so and now what's happening is that this injector is atomizing the fuel and atomizing means we're taking a liquid and breaking it up into small particles and it is it is uh the piston is still starting to come up the top it's not all the way there so the air is very hot and the fuel now hits this atomized fuel now hits this uh hot air and then it will in in simplistic terms it will start it will ignite but now the piston is still going further up so it will it will start to ignite and burn and it will mix with air because the fuel by itself cannot burn it needs to have oxygen with it to support combustion it needs to have air which is oxygen nitrogen and two percent other gases but it will do that and then it'll and it'll burn and then once it starts to burn the flame will expand and drive the piston down so actually in essence whereas if you think about it a gasoline engine uh has a homogeneous charge which means that when it enters the cylinder 
it mixes it's already mixed with air whereas a diesel has what's called a heterogeneous HET heterogeneous charge where it is not mixed with air it actually starts to mix with air once it starts to combust so now so that is why it's called compression ignition now the we did a show a few weeks back about diesel fuel adders we spoke about cetane and cetane is the diesel fuels eagerness to ignite and through that eagerness is what's going to start that combustion process and start that that process of having the, the flame expand across the bore and then actually the expansion of the flame is pushing the piston down so now let's talk about some real differences and why a diesel engine is known for efficiency and the first thing that we need to recognize is that diesel fuel has a higher level of energy in it measured in British thermal units and I'm going to give you rough numbers and the numbers vary a little bit but these are these are these are aggregate these are very good average numbers and they're easy for us to work with on this show as you're listening and so we're going to round them high or low but right in the proper range so for argument's sake a gallon of diesel fuel has around 140,000 BTU of energy whereas a gallon of gasoline has around 120 to 121,000 BTU of gasoline and to make a comparison a gallon of E100 well let's say E98 because E100 really doesn't exist uh, at at the pump as a fuel and for the most part E100 98 doesn't either but ethanol we'll say straight ethanol has a energy content of around 77,000 BTU so if you basically look at straight ethanol versus diesel fuel that ethanol has about half of the heat energy the British thermal units the energy the chemical energy that diesel fuel has and then gasoline is probably pure gasoline I don't want to say more in the middle more towards at 120,000 BTU closer to diesel than ethanol is and so if you're putting a fuel into an engine that has more energy in it per per BTU uh, so we'll say per gallon all right so this if we if we have a, a fuel with 140,000 BTU versus 120,000 BTU what's going to happen is that we're going to use less fuel and that is one of the main reasons why a diesel gets better fuel economy because the fuel or we could say like in a plant the nutrients that we're feeding it are stronger we're putting we're putting more nutrients in right in this particular point it's not nutrients it's energy content and that gives a diesel its ability one of the reasons why it has its ability to to be more fuel efficient for the power it produces now the other thing that comes into play is something called thermal efficiency and that is how that is how efficient the conversion process is from chemical to mechanical energy and one of the main factors or the paramount factor in thermal efficiency is the compression ratio of the engine 
And as an aside to this, if anybody you know, has a newer vehicle, gasoline-powered, newer car, newer truck, what have you, you will see that it is very common for these engines to, to have a high compression ratio much higher than we than we experienced in the past because by adding compression to an engine so compression ratio right so the volume at bottom dead center versus the volume of the cylinder at top dead center of the piston right is the easiest way the most the most inexpensive way and the best way to make an engine more fuel efficient so so if you look at a modern gasoline engine like for instance i have a little ford fiesta i've mentioned that before that little sucker it's a 1.6 liter engine which is like 96 cubic inches it's got 12 to 1 compression ratio now back in the day right all of us hot rodders and car guys look back in the day of the, the 60s and the 70s and what have you and i mean you you probably couldn't buy an engine with 12 to 1 compression ratio there was a couple of them come from, came from the factory muscle cars with 11 and a half to 1 compression ratio i think maybe uh 11.75 but my little fiesta is 12.1 to 1 so it's a solid 12 to 1 compression ratio and the reason why they do that today is because they want to give the thermal efficiency the fuel economy and if you look at that with a diesel we now have a fuel that has a higher energy content and we have a greater thermal efficiency which is a function of the engine design not the fuel thermal efficiency because we have a higher compression ratio so you put those two together and you are going to get more bang for your buck from every gallon of fuel that you pump into the tank that is going into that diesel engine be it a pickup truck be it a farm tractor be it a sprayer piece of construction equipment a ship what have you so that that in essence is uh, is the reasons why a diesel is more fuel efficient and why it has generated so much interest and has gravitated is probably a better word to the agricultural and heavy duty applications now the other thing that comes into play is that the negative of a diesel is that the fuel burns very slowly it burns much slower than gasoline and if you're ever wondering why a diesel engine does not rpm it has nothing to do with its mass it has nothing to do with anything like that the size of the piston or the crankshaft it's because the flame travels across the board the fuel burns very slowly and flame speed is measured in what in a metric called meters per second a scale called meters per second and the flame in a, in a gasoline engine burns substantially faster than it does in a diesel and without that quick burn rate then you cannot get rpm out of the engine so for arguably let's say let's talk about a diesel light duty pickup truck and the reason why i'm using that is because the engine displacements are in the same category as a gasoline engine would be and specifically in that application so if you if you look at ford for instance their latest power stroke is a 6.7 liter engine and their gasoline engine or their v10 that they currently have is a 6.8 liter engine so they're within you know a couple of cubic inches of one another 
and so we're not comparing like a, a C15 cat to a 1.6 liter motor 96 cubic inch motor in my fiesta we're comparing engines of almost the same displacement and you know for education purposes that's why um so i'm using it and um so if you look at that the the gasoline powered 6.8 liter engine will rpm will actually have a rate of acceleration of the crankshaft much faster when you step on the throttle the way it gains rpm and will have a higher maximum engine speed than the 6.7 liter diesel and that is that is that is due to the slow burn rate and flame speed of the diesel fuel now so if you think back to what i was saying in the beginning of the show how we we buy horsepower but we actually drive torque if you look at the equation for horsepower and it is a mathematical calculation based upon the torque output of the engine and the torque output of the engine is measured on something that is called a dynamometer and a lot of you are familiar with that but anyway the the um the equation is very simple it's horsepower equals torque times rpm divided by 5252 so the thing is that if you if you cannot get any rpm because you have a slow flame speed you could produce a lot of torque because the torque is a function of the energy release from the fuel being burned and working against the chemical to mechanical entries working against the piston and pushing it down in the bore and the uh and the rpm is required the fast burn speed to spin the crankshaft to make some sort of horsepower so horsepower being how quickly the work could do to recap and torque is how much work it could do so a diesel does not rpm in relation to a gasoline engine of the same displacement the same size simply because the fuel does not burn as quickly as it does in a gasoline engine now Let's break away for a minute. So we've just, we've to, to, re, to recap quickly, we've determined that the diesel fuel has a higher energy content around 140,000 BTU per gallon versus around 120,000 for gasoline. So our fuel economy is coming from there. The fuel has more oats to it, right? And then the second thing is we have the higher thermal efficiency of the engine and and that is due to the compression ratio the high what's called the mechanical compression ratio of the engine the change in volume from top dead center or from bottom dead center to top dead center but so we have that now the diesel is known for its torque now i'm repeating that because there's another element that comes into play and that is called an expansion ratio and if you were, if any of you are into engines and in and in engineering what we look at we don't look at any of things like this if you're talking to a true engine development guy he doesn't talk he doesn't talk torque he doesn't talk horsepower what he basically talks about mep mean effective pressure and b uh, break me bmep break mean effective pressure and then he looks at something called a p over v log or a p over v loop which almost looks like a it's a uh, crazy looking graph already 
best way for me without a picture. If this was an actual presentation, then I would put up on the PowerPoint a P over V log so you know what it looks like. And P over V means pressure versus volume. And what diesel fuel has is a very high expansion ratio. And that is the volume in liquid versus the volume when it becomes gaseous. And in simplistic terms, let's say that you have a billy goat on your farm and you have a bull on your farm. All right. When the billy goat wants to buck you, he charges you, boom, and he hits you. He hits you in the rear end, right? And he's almost like a baseball bat hitting a ball, right? The pitcher throws the ball, and the bat connects with you. Hit a clunk, and it and it and it and it, it it's the inflection point, and that's where the ball changes. The bat absorbs the energy and transfers it back into the ball, and the ball changes direction. So a billy goat, boom, and he bangs you, and he knocks you over, right? So he like a firecracker. He's like a baseball hitting a hit, hit, hitting a hitting a bat. Whereas if you take a bull and you're trying to move him, or he wants to move something, in most instances I'm not, I'm sure there are bulls that act like a billy goat, but for, for in most instances, the bull will actually take his weight and he will start to push against the fence. He will start to push against the gate. He's not going to charge it like a dog would or a billy gate or a, a billy gate, a billy goat. All right. He's going to go put his weight. He's going he's to put his grunt against it. He's going to push, right? And and think of like a big earth-moving machine, a big D9 caterpillar moving a big rock or moving a tree stump. It comes against it, it starts to groan, and it pushes. Well, that push that the bull has equates to the expansion ratio inside a diesel engine. And what happens is that the expansion of the air and the fuel in the diesel is what's called isentropic. It's I-S-E-N-T-R-O-P-I-C. I, some people call it isentropic or isentropic, and that means is that the flame is able to expand in the cylinder without thermal change. And, and because of the nature of the combustion event in the diesel engine, is that the cylinder pressure, as the piston sweeps down towards bottom dead center, the cylinder pressure stays much more constant than it does in a gasoline engine. A gasoline engine is like a firecracker. Boom, it has the peak cylinder pressure. And then as the piston moves down in the bore, what happens is that the, the pressure against the piston actually decreases as the bore in, as the board size increases, because it's the exact opposite on the, on the expansion stroke, the power stroke. It's the exact opposite of, of the compression stroke because now the piston is moving away from the cylinder and the volume in the bore is increasing what happens on a diesel engine is that that expansion process the expansion of the flame um in just to back up for a second we have the four strokes of an engine which is called the auto cycle and some people don't call a diesel engine a true auto cycle but we have intake compression power and exhaust that's how i teach it to you in high school all right the the actual the intake stroke is actually an engineer called cylinder fill all right the com 
and then we have the we have the compression stroke that name stays the same and the, what we call the power stroke in layperson's terms is actually called the expansion stroke because the flame is expanding and that expansion of the flame is actually what's working against the piston and pushing it down and then whereas the layperson calls the exhaust stroke the fourth stroke in actual engineering it is called the pumping loop because that is when the actual exhaust gas the, the inert gas that was not burned gets pumped out of the cylinder but this ice isentropic expansion uh during the 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 power stroke of power stroke meaning the expansion stroke not the Ford engine the power stroke of the diesel allows this pressure to stay to stay very high not quite as high as that ignition point but much higher in relationship to the increase in the volume of the bore than it does in a gasoline engine so that constant pressure it's like that bull right that bull coming against that fence post and he just keeps turning up his strength what I gate he's pushing against it he's pushing it against it you know what I'm saying so that's what he's doing is that so that expansion stroke in the diesel is keeping that pressure that pressure much more constant and that in essence is what is giving it its great amount of torque and it's what we would call specific torque meaning the amount of torque per cubic inch of displacement or liter of displacement when you say specific in that it means that it's you know how much per cubic inch or how much per liter of engine displacement so that is what is giving it its torque so if we look at it right why do we love the diesel engine and because number one its fuel is more fuel it has more energy content than gasoline all right the the compression ratio gives it a higher higher thermal efficiency that's a just a law of physics was was squeezing it into a smaller area it's high it's it's it has a greater degree of thermal efficiency and then the isentropic expansion of the way the fuel burns allows the pressure to stay more constant against the piston as the volume in the bore increases as the piston goes towards bottom dead center so and that's that grunt that we all love in a diesel that it doesn't and 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 we don't get rpm out of it because the fuel burns much slower than it does in a gasoline engine so so what in essence is happening if you look at it to carry that isentropic expansion one step further all right not to belabor with you is that the the heat is added at a constant pressure so by adding the heat we're having that expansion and it's keeping that pressure that pressure high so and, and, and this may be a poor analogy but all i want to do is i don't want you to design a diesel engine i want you to understand why it responds and has different attributes than the gasoline engine is that it would be akin to saying well in a gasoline engine you you it's like like getting a blowout on a tire it's 40 pounds there you hit something boom and it blows out whereas a diesel engine is like a slow leak that flame is expanding the heat is building it wants to expand because remember as the air molecules become heated as it burns they want to move away from each other and they're and they and they're they're, they're trying to escape and they're trying to cool off so it's pushing on that piston and 
and due to the nature of the fuel delivery event and the way the fuel burns is that as that piston that volume increases right heat is still being added and that is what's keeping the the pressure during the power stroke the expansion cycle so constant versus a gasoline engine which is almost like a stick of dynamite boom 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 all right and then as the piston goes down in its board it's still under pressure ramps off dramatically whereas on a diesel it stays constant so the diesel is the bull and the gasoline engine is the billy goat there's a time and place for everything but that is why it has so much torque and it's able that's why the guys the pickup trucks love it right they they hook up a, a you know a gooseneck trailer all loaded with, with you know with round bales of hay or fertilizer seed whatever they haul a piece of machinery and they come right to that hill right and you tip on that throttle a little bit just to climb that hill and that 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 diesel under the hood she she may change pitch and sound a little bit but that thing pulls that hill and flattens that hill simply because that isentropic expansion of that fuel in that bore is keeping that cylinder pressure very constant now you add a turbo on top of that and raise the pressure high and you really have something all right what is the negative of that well the negative of a diesel diesel engine is is uh it's engineering negative we'll talk about that first is that that combustion event that isentropic expansion and that slow burn rate of the fuel is a wonderful recipe to produce an emission called oxides of nitrogen and that is uh, what mixes with the atmosphere and attacks the ozone layer that uh, protects the earth and creates photochemical smog and that is one of the impetuses for the tier 4 emission system and and when you look at your tier 4 engine when it had the SCR system, uh, supplemental ca- selective, excuse me, selective catalytic re- re- uh, reduction, and the diesel exhaust fluid is to control oxides of nitrogen emissions. There's three things that need to happen for to produce high NOx, and it's pressure, heat, and exposure time. Well, the diesel has a lot of pressure, all right, because of the isentropic expansion. And it has a lot of heat because we're heating the air to have it ignite. It doesn't have the aid of a spark plug, the arcing of an electrical arc to to start the combustion event. All right, so we have that. And the slow burn rate of the fuel allows, it's the third element of the Zeldovich equation, in case you go on Jeopardy, that's the, the Zeldovich Zeldovich equation for oxides of nitrogen production and and that is why a diesel is under attack right now because of the oxides and nitrogen emissions that are difficult to control and need a lot of after treatment systems because we can't only control them to a certain level in the bore and then uh, the other aspect of a diesel that's under under uh, attack is the particulate matter which is soot in the exhaust and though it may not be visible to the naked eye anymore unless you go to a tractor pull right and those guys are all what we call a roll and call on black smoke right so the thing is that that soot is particulate matter so that's really why the diesel is under attack and matter of fact there is a company that's doing some research and they're looking to uh, i think it's called clear flame engine i actually listened to a uh, webinar on it last week and what they're looking to do is have a compression ignition engine that runs off of uh, basically E100, E98, pure ethanol. So, uh, and what that would basically remove from 
DE equation, the particulate matter problem, and it would also minimize the oxides of nitrogen. Whenever you have a flame uh, that or that approaches 20, that exceeds 2,500 degrees F, the oxides of nitrogen production goes up very high. So, so those are the those are the attributes of a diesel. What makes the diesel different is then again is that we are heating the air to a point, and then a few degrees before crankshaft uh, top dead center, a few crankshaft angle degrees for piston top dead center. Excuse me. We're injecting the fuel, and we're further compressing it. So the idea of the compression and the heat is igniting the fuel, and that is causing the flame and to to burn or the combustion to burn. I don't know, the combustion event to take place, and the fact that to recap before we move on to recap uh, is that the diesel gives us an advantage because of the uh, higher energy content in the fuel the higher th and the and the higher thermal efficiency of that fuel uh, so it puts you put it all together along with the isentropic expansion which keeps the pressure uh, versus the volume in the cylinder much higher and that gives us our torque it's the bull the bull pushing down the fence post and you know, if you all are cattlemen a lot of the cattlemen are of cows is that the cow usually doesn't charge the fence post they get against it get some traction and put their shoulder into it so like you're trying to move something right you're trying to move something heavy what you do is you put your shoulder and you don't run into it and go boom I'm going to try to remove that move that refrigerator you put your shoulder and you start to grunt and you slowly raise the pressure against it and that is the isentropic expansion now another thing that people uh wonder about the question that they just don't ask but the fact of the matter is is that why is diesel fuel so much more expensive in the united states and probably north america i don't know what's happening in canada but uh than gasoline and the fact of the matter is that diesel is a a less refined process and less burdensome and cumbersome process to produce than gasoline is and uh, why is it so much more expensive and in some places it's about a dollar a gallon more I know here in New Jersey we're about 285 two dollars and eighty cents a gallon for gasoline and I think we're about 350 or 370 depending where you go for for a gallon of diesel fuel and the reason for that being is very very simple is that we have more uh, and the other thing to add to it also is that you get more gallons of fuel out of a more gallons of diesel fuel out of a barrel of oil than you do out of a uh, than a, than gasoline. So in other words, basically, I put my tongue back in my mouth. Sorry about that. But these you get more diesel fuel out of a barrel of oil, refined, usable product than you do uh, gasoline. So if you look at that, you say, well, geez, you know that it has less refining to it, there's less production costs, and you're getting more out of a barrel, it should be a dollar a gallon cheaper than gasoline. And it is not for the simple reason being is that in the United States that our refineries are basically set up to produce gasoline and they're actually forced to produce diesel fuel to a certain extent by the federal government. Uh, and since we are a gasoline-based society, the efficiencies of operation, the efficiencies of scale are tilted towards gasoline and they negate those efficiencies of scale for production, negate the the uh, the less 
usable product per barrel of oil and the longer and more complicated refinery process. So in essence, we are set up to be a gasoline nation and that is why diesel fuel is more expensive here. You go to some places overseas in Europe, it's the exact opposite, is that diesel fuel is the predominant production fuel and gasoline is the, is the second chair, the second seat, and they're the differential is the diesel fuel is cheaper than it is the gasoline, albeit both of them are much more expensive than, are, than they are in the United States. But that is the, is the one, is the reason why. So basically to bring closure to this and hopefully understand is that uh, the diesel fuel, the diesel combustion event, its fuel, its chemical composition, its amount of energy, and the way that that fuel burns is what makes the diesel the powerhouse uh, and the workhorse that it is in agriculture. Uh, are its days numbered? Some people think that it that they are as emission control standards get tighter. I think that uh, I love diesels. I don't think they're great for every use. Uh, I don't think that I would buy a diesel pickup truck unless I was putting on a lot of mileage and have long, long run times. In other words, the worst thing in the world is for you to buy a diesel pickup truck and use it around the farm or ranch and take it five miles to town and then five miles back. A diesel is meant to run and specifically today because of the whole emission package that's involved with it and the diesel particulate filter and uh, the EGR system, those short run duty cycles play havoc with all of that. And also because of the mass of the block, a diesel engine's block is thicker and it's all its crankshaft, the bearings, the pistons are all thicker than it would be in a gasoline engine. And it has to do with that cylinder pressure rise and the way how long those components are exposed to the highest cylinder pressure versus a gasoline engine so if you were to look the for instance let's say if you were to look at a 6.8 liter v10 gas ford and a 6.7 liter all right uh you know within uh six cubic inches of one another and look at the main bearing size and the journal size and the crankshaft when you look at a diesel the main bearing area and the journal size on the crankshaft for both the connecting rods and the main bearings is so much larger because there's more surface area there because that cylinder pressure is higher that torque that expansion of that flame is has a lot more pressure in it so by making the area larger you're you're in essence taking that load and spreading it out whereas if you had the it would be akin to like having a woman walk on a flat pair of shoes or soil compaction right if you have tracks versus tires you're going and you are spreading that weight out over a largest area or a woman who walks on a high heel you're pushing you're putting the weight of her body on that little tiny tiny high heel on that little tiny surface area so a diesel engine everything is massive because they want the pressure per square inch of area or millimeter whatever you or if it's a metric uh, engineering calculation you want to spread that out and that's why the bearing area is so much larger and you know and as a, and as a side to this you know it's very easy with these modern diesels to turn up the wick on them and put a calibration in them and substantially raise the power and look i'm not saying i'm against that because i'm the hot rod farmer but the thing basically is but keep in mind that you know that you really have to be concerned with that bearing area of those journals and those main bearings because they could only yeah there's a there's a there's a cushion there from the manufacturer but they could only take take so much uh 
pressure per area per surface area and that is why those parts are so big because they need to actually withstand that pressure so hopefully you enjoyed this and if you have any questions on diesel engines or anything else please feel free to contact me at hot rod farmer at farmmachinerydigest.com and now we're going to get to our special delivery and special delivery is brought to us to you to me by firestone ag a company founded by harvey firestone a fourth generation farmer from columbiana ohio harvey dreamed of putting rubber tires on farm tractors and his innovative mindset is the core of firestone ag today and lives on with their 23 degree tread bar and ad2 technologies and along with their high-tech replacement tracks really really excited about their track program that I'm, I'm starting to learn about it you know the soil is the lifeblood of your farm trust it only to firestone I have a letter here from Rich, from Rob, excuse me, Rob Hart from Florida. It says, I've been listening to your show for a few months now and have learned so much. Well, thank you for that, Rob. I appreciate that. And I know that you like to use factory parts, but what about engine oil and farm equipment? I have all age. I have all ages of machines from two, from 2019 all the way back to 1979. I think many of us do have that that spread. Maybe not as broad as Bob's, but uh, what should I do? I don't want to store ten different oils. Well, thank you so much uh, again for listening, and that really is an excellent question. And oftentimes something like that comes up and i'm going to say don't kill the messenger all right because you know things you know things have changed is that on anything that's a newer piece of equipment so i would say probably from the past once we start to put it put emission strategies in so let's say from uh, a tiered emission system tier 3 and, and truly tier 4 and around that time is that what I would basically do is I would make sure that I used an oil that was from that engine manufacturer if it's a piece of farm equipment you I think you have more you have more leeway uh, as far as your oil churches churches choices oil brand choices with a piece of equipment let's say like a short line manufacturer like a versatile that uses a cummins engine and then you would just need to use what the, they're not changing the bearings in that engine to give it to versatile but a john deere whether it's a case new holland or a uh, application specific engine like that that you know that they built then I would definitely follow their oil recommendations and if you have to buy oil for that particular product uh, then so be it and then what you will basically do what I would like to do is then look back at and make like almost like a spreadsheet and look back at the oil requirements most modern oils are backward compatible to the older engines so it's really so you really need to to the front forwards compatible and these are backwards compatible so you may look and say well geez you know i have a uh, a 79 piece of equipment up to a 96 and if you look at the requirements in the owner's manual from that manufacturer and let's say you have an older john deere you have a ford you have a uh, you have a case you have an, an ih and within that older time range is that there was there was really not much diversity in what their oil requirements were and as i done the show a long time back and you could look in the archives i don't know where it exactly is uh rob but you could look is that what you're really buying is the additive package in that oil 
and because of the newer engines have so many unique manufacturing processes I mean the way they may hone the saw on the wall or may they may finish the bearing they may want a certain additive package in that oil and that's really what you're buying is that additive package but to concisely put this together for you with your newer stuff I would get 2019, 17, 18, 16, anything that's a tier three or above emission package that I would definitely buy the manufacturer's oil. So if you happen to have a, you know, a John Deere uh, 2019 and a 2018 case sprayer, then I would, I would buy those two oils respectively and I would not look to, uh, to mix them and change them around because you want that additive package and I've often said if something bites it bites hard and you'll keep in mind if you have a warranty failure there's a they'll pull an oil sample and they'll be able to tell for $35 what additive package is in that oil it's like doing a soil sample so you can't go and say oh man I used your I used high god oil then you really didn't all right so you'll keep that in mind and then with your older equipment, you could probably really, really just condense that because the, the needs of the engine really didn't change much. You could probably end up having, you know, one brand and grade of oil for your older machinery. You don't need to go buy New Holland oil if you have an old Ford TW tractor, all right, and then uh, use that. And so it's really not going to be, you're probably not going to have 10 different oils in there. I could see you having two or three different oils and then, uh, and and you know going from there and like i said don't kill a messenger but you know just like hey you know look at what we look what we have to do with with herbicides right we have different modes of action in herbicides so you know we need to have multiple modes of action and sadly but the only good thing is that as time goes on you'll replace that fleet right uh and then you'll have all newer stuff but like i said i know it's a pain in the neck i deal with it here on my farm but i like i say i've said before it's a and you know it's a great question and uh just use what you're supposed to but i think you know if you past a 20 year old machine or probably if even less than that, probably a 10-year-old machine and older, you could probably use one grade of oil and one brand of oil as long as it meets those specifications and you'll see that commonality. If you have any more questions on that, I kind of rushed you through it, but it's as simple as that. New stuff, use their brand. Older stuff, non-emission control, use the oil. Uh, you could commonize, commonize that and bring it all together. But this is not whole true for hydraulic oil. So th that will have to be a different show. But listen, thank you so much for listening. I am honored by all of you that are listening and uh, join this audience. And please know that the Hot Rod Farmer is pulling for you, the American farmer and rancher, and my beloved America. I wish you a safe a prosperous and a day full of joy and enthusiasm as we all go out there and try to put some crop in the ground. Have a blessed day and thanks for listening. <laughs>